Corinthians chapter number 8. We're going to start our reading in verse number 1. <clears throat> I'm going to read um, I'm going to read all 15 verses, and uh, then I'm going to back up and try to uh, take it line on line, okay? But I want to uh, read the whole thing and then uh, go back and try to preach uh, a little more uh, from an expositional standpoint tonight, <clears throat> Lord being our helper, okay? The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye be and ye burden, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he, hath gathered, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Heavenly Father, pray you'd help us now tonight as we look at this portion of Scripture. Lord, I have been preaching a long time, and I've read from these passages, and I've utilized some specific Scriptures out of this passage Lord, to my from what I can understand and go back into the recollection of my mind, I don't know that I've ever brought a, a message on the context of the entire chapter. And I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look at this. I feel like you've laid this upon our heart. This is fitting for the hour that we are in uh, tonight and as a body of believers. And ask God that you'd bless it uh, and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, uh, there's a couple things that if a preacher wants to get thrown out of a church uh, that he would, he would deal with. That's modesty and money. And when you deal with them two things, uh, if you want to fight, that's normally how you can get one started. Uh, and so I don't look for a fight, and I say that jokingly, okay? I don't think anybody's here is looking for a fight either. Uh, but it's just ironic with some of the things that we're dealing with right now as a church, and the preacher has to go start dealing with money, so... We're going to look at that for just a few minutes and nobody get worked up or anything. It's just a, a message the Lord has laid on my heart and I believe it will help us and bless us. And if you're looking to do what God wants you to do and 
I'm looking for what God wants us to do. This ought not hurt anybody's feelings. We all ought to be able to amen this and go home and sleep well tonight. But the Bible uh, says here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, you've heard me say uh, that uh, we are not the church up the road, down the road, out that way, or back behind us. We're the church uh, right here, okay? This, we're this little body of uh, believers. And while we don't strive necessarily uh, to try to be like the church down the road, or up the road, or out the way, or back behind us, we're trying to do what God wants us to do. Understand, though, there are some fundamental things that we as a body of believers should all be doing. And while we may uh, not all look the same exactly, our order of services may be different, things of that nature. Fundamentally, Brother Marvin, we ought to be pretty well doing the same things, same goal-oriented churches. Uh, we ought to be trying to see souls saved. We ought to be looking to take care of one another. What's interesting is we have preached on and dealt with and talked on when we dealt with our statement of faith uh, the, the purpose of the autonomy of the local church. We see churches plural in this uh, New Testament of the Word of God. And we find that these uh, Pauline epistles are written to uh, the churches. All right? And you and I make up the church, but we are part of a local body. That's plural. We are one of many today that make up the body of Christ. And so we talk about the autonomy of the local church. But I want you to see here in this portion of Scripture the interaction between local churches. Now I want to say this, while we look to be independent and while we are autonomous, we are not isolationist and we do not snub and be mean to a church up the road, down the road, out the way or behind us. If they are fundamentally doing what God wants them to do, we ought to support, help, pray for them, uh, have the same burdens for them when a sister church up the road, down the road, out the way or behind us is missing a pastor. We ought to be praying God send them what they need. We ought to care because if truthfully we're all doing the same thing for the same Savior. It's not a competition between churches. It's a competition uh, between the devil. We're trying to get souls saved and we're trying to get people to God and we're fighting the devil. Amen? All the while. If you're trying to do anything for the Lord our God, you're going to fight the devil. And so we've got to have the help of the Lord. But I want you to see here the uh, interaction between local churches. Now let me pause here and I don't want to get sidetracked here. I may deal with this next Wednesday night. When I'm talking about the, uh, the help and the interaction and the communication between these churches. I'm not talking about the 21 churches in Blount County that got together and all these pastors from different denominations filled pulpits from all across these different churches. I ain't talking about ecumenicalism. I'm not talking about going out here and see if I can find me a liberal Presbyterian to come fill our pulpit while I go preach in the liberal Presbyterian's pulpit. Now, I'd like an opportunity to get in a liberal Presbyterian's pulpit, but I don't want them in my pulpit, all right? And I'm not saying that all Presbyterians are going to hell, so don't, don't go there. That's not what I'm saying. Matter of fact, I've got a, a man that I grew up with that I hold as a dear friend, and he's Presbyterian. He's a Cumberland Presbyterian. He's not. But anyway, I don't get off on all that. What I'm saying here, we, we, they think that's good. They think the ecumenical movement that's being pushed in our county right now is good. It's not. It's a blending of some things. I am going to get hung up here for just a second, but let me just throw this out here at you. Do you know how come that churches can do that and not have any problems? You know what separated denominations to begin with, don't you? Doctrinal beliefs. Now, here's the thing about it. And Paul deals with this. While we're talking about helping sister churches here, these are sister churches that were like-minded. All right. These are not these are not churches that were were of different persuasions uh, based upon the precepts of the Word of God. They were doctrinally the same, shooting for the same things. But denominations split because there is a group of people that took the Word of God and they said that's not what God said, and they had to split ways because they had a fundamental difference of opinion on what God says. Now I may not agree with you. But I can respect you if the decision that you made, you made because you said 
God's word says this. And when you go to bed at night believing God's word says this, I can respect you for your opinion. What I cannot respect is 21 churches getting together in our county and throwing it all aside and saying, let's just look at the big picture and kumbaya and uh, we're all going to fellowship and come together because we're this denominational divide is killing us. No, what's killing us is compromise today. And how they can come together and fellowship with one another is because they've thrown the doctrine out the window and they've all said, let's hug and love and just gather around Jesus and it don't matter if you're a homosexual or not, it don't matter what you think or what you believe, it's just we're all going to get together and love one another. And what happens is how you can take denominations that are, were started out fundamentally different and bring them back together is because they're coming back together not based on doctrine, but they throw doctrine out the window. That's what's wrong with all of our churches. That's what's wrong with a lot of independent Baptist churches. They've thrown doctrine out the window. Now, not all of them, okay? There's good Baptist churches in this county. I'm not what I'm saying is, though, I'm not going to have that, and you shouldn't either. And if you don't like that, I'll preach a message on it sometime and give you a good hour and a half on why that is, because i got plenty to say on it, but I don't have enough time to do it tonight, okay? So I want you to see the interaction here, though, between these churches. And so verse 2 says, how that in a great trial of affliction. Now, who are these churches? These are the churches of Macedonia. These are the Greek churches in northern Greece, all right? You'd see Thessalonica, Philippi. And so the, the Bible says here, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So undoubtedly, what we're finding here in verse 2 is these churches were under a great trial of affliction and they had deep poverty. You need to understand, they weren't blessed financially like maybe others were. They were blessed, but they did not have the financial abundance of some. All right, and so the verse 3 said, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Now I want you to notice this verse of scripture, this is key. This is key. For to their power I bear record, yea. In other words, Paul's saying they give and done. And we're going to find here that what we're looking at in this portion of Scripture is of monetary value. What they give to support financially, all right? Now, uh, what, I, what I'm interested in right here is the fact that Paul says for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. In other words, they were willing beyond what they were able to do. If they were able to have done more, more they would have done. And we're going to find here that they actually give till it hurt. And uh, I'm going to read to you in a few minutes if I don't get ahead of myself. But when we look at the Gospel of Luke, we're reminded of the widow that gave two mites, right? Now, when she gave her two mites, Brother Shane, she didn't say... Them's my last two mites, Brother Marvin, that I'm putting in the treasury. What she done was she quietly put her last two mites in the treasury, and guess what? Jesus took notice. And because Jesus is Jesus, he knew that it was all that she had. But she was willing to do all that she could, and she did it. Now notice this. And the Bible even says, and Jesus said, she give, it, give more into the treasury than anyone else. For everyone else gives of their what? Abundance. But she gave when she didn't have it to give. Now we're finding here that the, the, the Lord's not asking us to do what we can't do. But at the same time understand that sometimes we think we can't. When in all honesty if we just would, he'd bless us beyond our, our, our abilities. All right. So I want you to understand there is a line here. Now there's a line but at the same time understanding God can, you can't outgive the Lord. You can't, you, can't, you can't do too much for the Lord. All right, so notice this. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. And I do want to pause right here before I move into the rest of these verses here. I'd say I've preached on money uh, maybe twice since I've been here. So just bear with me and I'll get through this tonight. And I don't think it'll hurt anybody, but it'll be good. I do believe that. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. Now, 
here's what Paul's saying. Praying with us much entreaty that we would receive the gift. In other words, they come to Paul. Paul didn't go to them. Paul didn't gather them together and say, you need to give. You need to give me this money because I need to take this money to what I believe goes back to Jerusalem. But I'm not going to look at that tonight per se. But what I'm saying is, is there was a need and the churches loved the churches that they, you understand churches help form churches, right? And so where did it start? It started at Jerusalem and worked its way, which way? Outwardly, right? And so they see a need and they want to help fulfill the need. Why? Because they love the Lord. Now you do understand, especially the church at Philippi uh, was a church that the, uh, that the apostle Paul had a close knit relationship with. And you do know that this church here at Corinth is really a carnal church. There's been a lot of struggles, a lot of trials in this particular church, all right? And what happens here is the Bible says, praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, this, this wasn't to the lost. The money didn't go to the lost. The money went to the church, all right? Now follow along with me. It's one church given to another church. All right? Now let me say this. The Bible says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now what they've done here is they've given their, their money. The churches have given. Now the church is made up of what? It's made up of individuals. And, and the church is made up undoubtedly of individuals that have a level of poverty. And, uh, and the, yet they, they love the Lord and the word of the Lord so much that they're giving till it hurts. And if they'd had more to give, they would have. And this they did, not as we hoped. So it wasn't that Paul had, had put this on them or guilt tripped them or tried to make them do it. But the Bible said, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. The Lord, because they were spiritual, Brother Shane. Because they was close-knit to God. Because the Lord was working in their heart. Paul didn't have to ask them for something. They were willing to do it of their own heart, free will, without Paul having to beg them for it. All right? Or to put anything on them. You say, well, that's good. I don't like nobody coming to me and trying to put it on me. Well, he didn't put it on the churches at Macedonia, but he puts it on the church at Corinth. So just hang on a minute. Paul's, Paul's not saying he's too good to ask. But he's saying that he don't have to ask when somebody's loving the Lord. And what I'm saying is Paul recognizes that somebody that's not willing to give of their heart isn't right with the Lord. That's the thing. All right, so the Bible says here, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. All right, so in other words, Titus here is fixing to get saddled up with finishing this program, okay? So look here in verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge, in all diligence and in your love to us, See that you abound in this grace also. Now, here is an interesting thing. Paul has seen not one church. The Bible says here the church is plural of Macedonia in verse 1. This isn't just, let's say, Philippi that's giving to the work. This, this isn't just, let's say, Thessalonica that's had a burden. But it's more than one body of believers that have seen a need that needed to be met and the church was going to meet that need, all right? And so I find that interesting that the Lord didn't just place it on the heart of one, but on the heart of many. And the Lord places it on the heart of many who have no, really don't have much of their, they don't have much abundance. But the church at Corinth here, the, the Bible says here, um, let me get back to where I need to be. Verse 7, therefore as ye abound in everything, 
in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. In other words, if you're serious, you're, you're, you're trying to do right in all these other areas, don't, don't miss this one area. Now here's what I want to do. And uh, we, we obviously have, have, we've done, and I'm going to look at our finances here in a little bit after church and make a few statements. We're not really making it after church, but kind of in the closing of my, of my message. But I want to say the Lord's blessed us. We went to a business meeting the other night, and the Lord has blessed the church. And the church has done, as far as I can tell, above anything one could imagine for the size of the amount of people that we have here right now. I mean, the Lord really, I, I, I mean, the Lord just blessed us in a great way in the past, you know, three, three or four months financially. And I thank the Lord for that. But we don't want to miss, we don't want to miss the will of God for our church and, 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 and not look at this area of our, of our local body. We got we to gotta look at this and lay some groundwork on how we are to work with and deal with God's money. Not our money, it's God's money. Okay, It's not the deacon's money, it's not the, the preacher's money, it's not the men's money or the ladies' money or the children's money, it's God's money. And so God has the final say as he should in every other area of our church, how we operate. I will say this, I believe the Lord is blessing us for a reason. And I believe that the Lord wants us to not miss his blessings for our church. The Lord doesn't give to us that we might sit on it like a hen hoping that the egg will crack open. We're we going to have to do something with it for the glory and for the honor of God. Okay, So moving on here, the Bible says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Now, what he's saying here, he's saying, you, you, verse 8 is talking about two different things. And I want to call these two different things out to you. The two reasons given is, number one, because of the example set by another group of churches. We see that here. The example of the Macedonian churches was called into this, this portion of scripture when this letter was written to the church at Corinth. All right, so we see here, and, and that's the occasion of the forwardness of others. But then verse 2, to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul understands that if you are where you ought to be with God, God has every area of your life. Because for one, to say you have all areas of my life except for this one, God doesn't have your life. All right, and so we, we see here that Paul is emphasizing the, that if these other churches see a need because they love the Lord, wouldn't it make sense for you to take notice of this need and help also? And so notice here, if you will, verse 9 uh, says here, and, and let me pause before I get into verse 9 let me remind you of something if I can. I mentioned to you that this, uh, this funding, is, this help, if you will, was for the saints. All right? Now, uh, let me read to you Acts chapter number 3. If you'll turn with me there uh, for just a moment, I want to read to you a portion of Scripture and remind us of something uh, before I move uh, forward in this. Acts 3 is a familiar passage where Peter and John uh, had went to the temple to pray. And we know that a lame man from his birth who sat at the gate of the temple was there begging alms. Uh, and when he saw Peter and John, you know, about to go into the temple, uh, he had asked alms of them. And so verse 4 starts out and says, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Now this is interesting to me because a lot of times when people start talking about money, everybody starts looking at the ground. Uh, but Peter wanted the, this man that was asking of him money to look him in the eyes. And uh, he had something he wanted to say to him and he didn't want to be misunderstood in what it was that he had to say to him. All right. So he says, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Now, if you'll think about this for just a minute, Peter and John were headed to the temple to pray. They didn't stop and talk to the man. The man stopped them. Ask of them something. 
Now, Peter and John didn't have nothing to give him, or they might have stopped and give him something or taught whatever. They didn't have anything. They didn't have anything with them to give him. And so then Peter, or verse 5 said, he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now I want to say this. Why was he begging alms? He was begging alms because he didn't have the physical ability to make a living. What happens here, though, is the Lord restores his physical ability or gives him physical ability to which he never had. And now the man's more happy than he would have been if they'd have filled his pockets full of $100 bills because you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day or you can teach a man how to fish, Brother Ray, and he can eat for a lifetime. Unless you fish like me and then you go hungry. But what I'm saying to you is this. Essentially, he had his physical ability to go work. You'll find that a lot of people that want your help don't really want your help. But if they got saved by the good grace of God, God would put something on the inside of them that would help all the other problems that they have. A lot of people are looking for a handout from the church, but they're not looking for a hand up. Amen? And uh, Peter and John give him a hand up. And he was wanting a hand out, but when he got the hand up, he didn't need a hand out anymore. And so we as the church are not set... Uh, to go out here and just throw good money on top of good money on top of good money at, at drunks and everything else. Uh, what we're trying to do is get folks saved by the grace of God. A drunk needs the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he don't need $10 to go buy more beer while his kids is at home starving to death. That's not what he needs. And the church, for some reason today, thinks that's the kind of stuff that we got to do to, to be in the ministry. That's not being in the ministry. That's throwing away good money at a drunk. And when you give somebody beer with God's money, you might ought to pray about that. Amen. God didn't have that. Not, God's not going to give them money to drink beer, and you shouldn't either. And so my point is simply this. The, the money here that's being taken up from the church was to go to the saints that they might what? Be in a state to where they can go out and continue to further the gospel. You know what we're doing here today, don't you? We're here with God's money, and the idea behind God's money is to take God's money and use it to further the gospel because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and Jesus didn't have nowhere to lay his head. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus isn't interested in me and you having a three-story house with uh, the finest and everything in it. I don't need gold fixtures, brother. Uh, what I'm saying to you is, is God's interested in the gospel going out. The Lord Jesus Christ is interested in the gospel going out. So these funds were for that cause. And I want to say this, as a, as a church, whatever the Lord blesses us with, he blesses us with it, that we might further the gospel. So it needs to be ministry oriented, what we do. And what some people call ministry just isn't in the word of God. Now, I will say this. There's instances and times where somebody uh, that can't do any better uh, could use some help. I'm not saying that you don't help people. I'm not saying you never give somebody uh, some help. We had an individual in our church that was trying and working and trying to do right, and uh, they needed uh, some help. We ought to cut them a check and help them, Brother Shane. That's not what I'm saying today. I'm not talking about not giving, but I'm saying we better be careful what we give to. And in this portion of Scripture, uh, the idea here was to further the gospel. And so uh, the Bible says, because you do understand these churches that were giving this money understood that they were only where they were because somebody furthered the gospel to get it to them. Somebody had to put shoe or foot in shoe leather and take them the gospel and the person that put foot in shoe leather to take them the gospel had to eat from somewhere. You understand that today. So we're just giving back from our reasonable service to do more because we've been blessed. Amen. And uh, so this is not a, this is not a, some people like to act like 
You know, I know they get frustrated with TV preachers and all this stuff and that. Like if a preacher says something about money, then he's just trying to bleed people uh, from all that they have. And it's unfortunate because I've got a gentleman that I work with today that won't go to church because of the one time he went to a charismatic church somewhere I don't, uh, up in other portion of Tennessee uh, with his wife. They literally was taking jewelry off the women and putting it in the play. And he come to find out it wasn't long after that, the preacher uh, got caught up in a lot of money scandals, okay? And so I, it just irked him, and he ain't been right with it since. And so if you mention money, it wears him out. He told me one time, he said, well, uh, he's asking me about tithing and things of that nature. And I said, brother, the Bible teaches us to give uh, our 10%. And I said, that's just what we, we give because it's already God's. I said, that's not talking about offered. He said, well, he said, I give clothes to the poor and I take stuff down there to the Goodwill. And I, I said, well, I understand that, but brother, the clothes at the Goodwill won't pay the electricity bill down at God's house. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is we got to be careful how we, we, we use God's money. But the Bible does say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. If I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number uh, eight again. We read this verse of scripture, quote this verse of scripture a lot because it is a good verse of scripture to show the, the lost person and to remind the born again believer just what it was that Christ gave up uh, so that we could be saved by his marvelous grace. But in all honesty, when we look at this scripture in context, what I find is where, where one could get frustrated maybe because Paul has mentioned these churches at Macedonia and called into uh, question the church at Corinth or use the example of other churches to kind of set a standard by which maybe uh, the church at Corinth ought to move up to. He then not only leaves them with the fact that uh, to prove the sincerity of their love and that uh, in verse number eight where it said uh, occasion of the forwardness of others talking about the example of these other churches, we find that now he moves on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And essentially what happened, it wasn't that the, uh, the churches uh, in the Macedonia region uh, were so much better than the church of Corinth. It was just that the church at Macedonia was just doing what Jesus would have done. And we ought to just be doing what Jesus would have done. Now I'll say this, a lot of times what we think is just really setting a standard high. I mean, what we think is really just overachieving and what we think is really just moving on up and, and stepping on out really ain't none of that. It's just doing what God always expected us to do. And it just shows us the substandards of most churches today not doing anything. And it's not that we've achieved great status if we can do these things. It's just that we're doing what God's blessed us to be able to do. And uh, so it's not that the churches of Macedonia were so great. It's just really that the church of Corinth wasn't doing what uh, really they needed to be doing. But we're going to find here, we're not beating up on the church of Corinth, we're going to find that they did have a mind to do something. They had just, some things had come up that had postponed them from getting it done. And so we're going we're to find that here in just a moment. But we're emphasizing now how that, uh, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. What is grace? I want to remind us of this for just a minute. We know that grace is unmerited favor. Uh, and the cost was high, Brother Marvin, for you and for me. It cost a lot. Amen. Let me tell you, it cost a lot. God bankrupt heaven, heaven, and give us the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had everything. I mean, he had everything. But he left everything, left the portals of glory, come to this sin-cursed world where he wouldn't have anything, was born, as we've learned at Christmas time, into a poor family where all he had to eat was butter and honey, and he lived a very a life of poverty, and he did that for you, and he did that for me. And I want to say this, sometimes we act like, well, I'm not going to give till I'm poor. Well, I'll say this, if God laid it on your heart to give to you poor, you'd be sinning if you didn't. I'm telling you because we've been given everything. And the Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, I thought about this because Jesus, you understand, uh, he did ascend back to the Father. And the next time he comes, Brother Shane, he's not coming in poverty. And I'll say this, he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so while he was rich and he became poor, that we could be made rich 
understand this, he didn't stay poor. And because of he was willing to give it up, and the Lord blessed him for what he'd done, we find that he ends up gaining something out of this whole thing. In this transaction of, of going from rich to become uh, in a life of poverty, we find that not only now is Jesus rich, but you and I are rich also. And essentially we find that you can't outgive God. God give his son. Jesus give his life. But God has given to Christ everything that was his. And Jesus is ruling and reigning, you understand, and we'll rule and reign, and we'll rule and reign with him. And I want you to know that where he is, there we will be also, and what's his is mine, amen. I mean, we're joint heirs with Christ tonight. So it's amazing to me. I'm, I am rich, and you are rich because we are children of God. But we're only children of God because he who was rich became poor. And let me tell you something today. You and I have been to be willing to give sometimes, even if it means giving till it hurts. And I'm not plugging for money tonight. We've got, we're doing just fine right now, as far as I can tell, uh, financially. So this is not about trying to get more out of it. But I'm just telling you, we need to have it on our mind that, that really we're giving to God what's already his. And if we won't give to him what's already his, we're robbing him from it. And I'm talking about God has a will for our life. They give, they give when they didn't have it to give. And uh, you say, well, how do you give something you don't have to give? By the same way we do everything else. Same way you got saved? By faith. I got saved by faith. You understand that? It's grace, but I, I, I got saved because of faith. And uh, so having said that, verse 10 says in here, and I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun, who have begun before. And I'll say this too, you can't make somebody do what they don't want to do. Now, I've learned that. I learn that more every day. But I will say this. I can give you some good advice tonight. And, and, and the Bible says here, I give my advice for this is expedient for you who have begun before. Not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand something. Undoubtedly, right here, we are learning. <laughs> there must have been a pledge there must have been a, a, a will. There must have been a desire a year ago for the church at Corinth to have done something to help in this matter. Notice this with me, if you will. Look at your verse again. Now, therefore, he said all this, and he says, now, therefore, perform the doing of it. The, the, the doing of what? What you said you was going to do a year ago. They said they were going to do something a year ago, but they didn't do it. Now here's the danger, and I do want you to understand something today. I believe in my heart that the churches, as we've learned, give because the Lord laid it upon their heart to give. But they, we find this in the first portion of this uh, of this chapter, uh, in verse two: How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Uh, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying uh, us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. As, as this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Let me say this to you. It was God's will, and God laid it upon the heart of the church. Now, I do want you to notice uh, with me, if you will, that they acted upon the will even though they were in poverty. But this church at Corinth here has made a pledge that they see the need to help in the same manner that the churches of Macedonia have needed to help, uh, to, to, but, but they haven't come through with their pledge. Now, let me say this to you. I'm not, I'm not trying to start a missions conference tonight, but I'm going to deal with this for just a moment. There's a lot of people you'll find that fall on two sides of the line when it comes to faith promise missions. And I believe that there's nothing wrong with getting alone with God and asking God what God would have you to give. Now we'll say this, we don't set a standard for Brother Marvin to give the same amount that Brother Donnie gives and the same amount that Brother Shane gives and the same amount that Brother Ray gives, we don't say you have to give this amount, each individual one of you. What we say, the idea of Faith Promise Missions is for an individual to get with God and pray 
and seek God's will. You understand that's what the church, uh, the churches at the Macedonia region were doing. They, they asked, the Lord laid upon their heart, they knew his will, and they joyfully gave even though they really didn't have anything to begin with. They were in poverty. Poverty means poor. They could have used what they had. When I say they give until they, they would have give if they'd have had more to give, I mean they give what they couldn't afford to give away, though, when they were giving it away. They were giving what they could not afford to give away when they were giving it away. But I'll never forget my papa telling me, and I have forgot it over the years at times, but it always comes back and rings true. You cannot afford not to give to God what God wants out of you. What, why can't afford it? You can't afford not to. And I'll say this, maybe you're just creeping and teetering on the edge of always making it. And I would give if I could give. No, God might, if you'd give, help you get past that point of always teetering on the edge of barely making it. All right? And so God will help you, but you've got to be willing to give him what he wants out of you. And let me say this, God is a jealous God. I've been studying on the jealousy of God in my private time and in my personal study. And some would say that jealousy is a bad thing. And while anything can be used wrong, we find jealousy is an attribute of God, Brother Shane. And there's some godly jealousy because we find that Paul even told the church, he said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. What a conjunction to use those two words together. That's kind of like being angry and sinning not. Angry can be sinful, but you can be angry and sin not. You can be jealous and be godly. And uh, so I want you to know that. We're going to look at that in the future. And I guarantee you that won't be a fun message for some, but uh, it'll be a good one, amen, because it's in the Bible. And so having said that, though God is a jealous God, and let me say this to some people, I don't believe in faith promise missions. I ain't pledging anything. Well, I want you to know you didn't have a problem going down to the bank and uh, getting that truck that you wanted that you really couldn't afford to pay cash for. So you went down there and you told the banker, I really want this. And uh, if you'll let me have it, I'd be willing to pay 5 or 6% interest to pay you more than the truck's worth to get the truck that I want. And I'll sign a note that says, I'll pay you this amount of money every month. And you didn't lose a week of sleep over pledging that money. And you weren't going to vary on how much you pledged by month to month either because if you did, you weren't going to keep that truck. And if you didn't pay for it like you said you would and they come and got the truck, your testimony would be smeared because your credit wouldn't be any good. And the next time you said you was going to do something, nobody would believe that you're going to do it. And so let me say to you here, there's a warning and I want to read this to you. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 4 said, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. It takes a fool to tell God that they're going to do something and then won't do it. Now, you know why most people have a problem with faith promise missions? Because it's accountability. The whole thing behind faith promise missions is for you to say, God, what do you want me to give? You get with God and nobody else and God tells you what it is that you're to give. And then when you say, God, all right, this is what I'm going to give. And the way we kind of do it in the church, and you don't have to do it exactly like the church down the road. But we set it up or have set it up on an annual. I've seen churches that do that annually. We're going to come back to the drawing board. And, and since we operate kind of as a, as a culture on annuals, we're going to come back to the drawing board year by year and just ask God, God, what would you have me to give to you? And then God gives you what it is that you ought to give. You have peace in your heart about it and you say, I pledge this. Then when you write that down on your faith promise missions card, you, Brother Marvin, are accountable for what you wrote down. Not accountable to anybody because guess what? If you don't pay, there's nobody coming to take your truck. Not from this church. Now, I'd be scared of what God might do. But what I'm saying to you is what you're doing is you're making a vow to God. Saying, God, you've blessed me. This is what you've laid on my heart to give. This is what I'm going to give. And then it's settled. And then when you don't, You've went against what you told God you was going to do. And I'd say to you that it'd probably be better for you to not give to something else 
than it would be not to give to God. I want to say this, though. God doesn't want us not giving to anything else either. Uh, I mean, he doesn't want us not giving to, to our responsibilities is what I'm trying to say because that gives us a bad testimony as well. Not paying your bills and not having good credit is a bad testimony. What it is also a testimony is that you're living beyond your means. And sometimes that's also a bad thing, all right? It's always a bad thing to live beyond your means, but sometimes we allow that to be the case in our life is what I'm trying to say. So when thou vowest a vow unto God, Ecclesiastes 5 and 4, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. A lot of people don't like faith promise missions because they know it's better off for them just to skirt around that, leave that alone, than it is to get committed. But what God's always looking for his people is for them to get committed. We ought not have a problem committing today. Look around you tonight. They, some folk ain't committed. They're not committed to church. They're not committed to God. They're not committed to nothing. And so the Bible says here, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Oh, that means if you pledge to God, Brother Shane, and then you, you back up on that pledge, you're in sin. So the Bible says here, neither say thou before an angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Now, we, we see here in Ecclesiastes 5.2, let me read this to you real quick. I should have just started in verse 1, but the Bible says in verse 2, Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou, open, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Verse 3 says, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitudes of words. Let me make a side note right here before I move on into what I'm dealing with tonight. Uh, a, somebody that's always using a multitude of words that can't never be quiet, it's always just talking to be talking. I mean, can never slow their lips down. The Bible calls them a fool. We need to, we need to be careful. Let thy words be few, Ecclesiastes 5 and 2 says. You know, we're going to be judged by everything that comes out of our lips. And really, when you can't ever slow your mouth down, your mouth's outrunning your brain. And when your mouth's outrunning your brain, you can't be helped but to be known as a fool. A mouthy person that can never shut their mouth is known as a fool in the word of God. And so we need to be careful about that. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards, the Proverbs 29 says. And you understand that multitude means a great number. So a fool's voice is known by a great number of words. One that's always talking can never slow that thing down. I do want you to know here that the Lord is, uh, is the key to everything that we do. We know that Paul said our sufficiency is God. Not that we're to think anything is of ourselves. For our sufficiency is of God. So what are we relying on here? We're always relying on God. Now let me say this. If you can rely on God in every other area of your life, can you not rely on God in your finances? Really what the, the thrust of this is put your money where your mouth's at. That's what Paul is telling the church of Corinth. You pledged a year ago. You said you would. You seen the need. Paul said, I didn't beg you for it. I didn't even command you to give it. I let it stay between you and God. I don't believe in a preacher telling somebody they have to give X amount of dollars. I do believe the Bible teaches 10% of your, of your tithe. But when it comes to offering, I believe that's between you and God. And really it's nobody else's business what that number is. Uh, but I will say this to you. Uh, there was a pledge that was made and a year ago, and they hadn't met up on that pledge. And so Paul's telling them to put their money where their mouth is at. The Bible said, and herein I give my advice, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 8, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, put your money where your mouth is, that is there was a readiness to will. So there may be a performance also, of that which ye have. Let me say this. They had it to give. For if there be first a willing mind. It is accepted according to that a man hath. And not according that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased. 
and you be burdened. Let me say this. We see that Corinth had pledged to the same cause as other churches yet had not financially fulfilled. And Paul brings this out and he says in verse 11, put your money where your mouth is. But in verse 12, it, it's not to put them under financial strain. He's not emphasizing to put them under financial strain for the sake of doing it. It's to put in with a willing heart. Just be willing to give what God lays upon your heart to give and then fulfill it. But you know they have it because he says so. The performance also out of that which ye have. It's all God's anyway. He opens doors. He shuts doors. I want to say this to you today. We don't say I can't, I won't because I can't to God. We do not say that. We say, Lord, if this is what you want, this is what I'll do. The beautiful thing about faith promise missions, I do want you to understand, there's a reason why it's called faith promise. There are a lot of people that have learned how to trust God by acting upon this part of their Christian life. Now, I didn't do it through faith promise missions. I learned, and unfortunately for me, I've had to learn a lot of things the hard way, Brother Shane, and I don't recommend you doing it that way. But that's just how I did it, okay, in some areas. And some of it was not out of rebellion. Most of it was out of ignorance. I wasn't necessarily trying to be rebellious. But I did learn that when God was first dealing with me about getting serious with him, I had to, to make a move. And I'm not going to get into this whole story now. We ain't got time for it anyway. But I will say this. God moved upon my heart to move my family or my wife. I didn't have children at the time. One of her siblings was living with us to move to Texas. I didn't know why. Now, I got called to preach, Brother Marvin, while I was in Texas. And it's amazing because God was really changed my life in that time of my life the most. But when I left Tennessee going to Texas, I left with $500 in my pocket, nowhere to live, and the car I was driving, Brother Shane, if you'd have seen it, you'd have asked me not to try to drive that out of Blunt County. That's the, that's the God's truth. I mean, that poor thing, it was terrible. And, and it was a good one. I'll give it the Lord. The Lord got me there, and I'll tell you that. It didn't get me there. But, but what I'm saying to you is within, within a month there, I had a job. That I, and I didn't have a job when I got there. I didn't have nothing. I'm telling you, all I had was just scared to death, worried, and all right, God, if this is what you want to do. But, but God, in a month's time, I had a job. I had been through two jobs, and not that I got fired from them. It's just, just a ch chain of events that happened. I went to work and, and work, I was running an excavator, a track hoe, and got on a job where there was a hazmat situation. We dug into some stuff in the ground. They shut the whole job down. And just fortunately, I rolled right out of that job, right into another job, running a traco for another company, making more money. That job, something happened with that job and allowed me to move out of that job into the field that I'm working in today as a, as a person that never had worked in that field before. I didn't know anything. And we didn't have a vehicle. My wife was sitting at home with no phone, stranded. And this first job that the Lord actually just really broke me loose, I had a company vehicle and a company phone. And it just, it just gave me what I needed to get started. I didn't know, Brother Marvin, that in just a few months, I was going to have an influx of children come into my home that weren't mine. And I get a little emotional about it sometimes because the hand of God just began to work and, and open doors and, and give in a way. And you've got to understand something now. When I talk about raising other people's kids, I got married at the ripe age of 18 and rolled right into trying to parent somebody else's children. I didn't have a clue. You hear me? I didn't know nothing. I didn't know anything about the hand of God and his workings and his power. But God began to show me that just by doing what he said to do, he could take me from absolutely nothing because I didn't have nothing. I had nothing to rely on and began to do things and show me his power. And I really began to get a handle on that. And you wonder, well, how can two people that come from the background that maybe that me and my wife come from get to where we're at today because we've seen the hand of God? And I'm going to tell you something. On the days when the devil wants to beat you up, Brother Marvin, and tell you God isn't real, this is all a big joke, 
You go back to them days where you know God showed up in such a magnificent way that people on the side of the road was wondering why you were circling the car shouting and hooping like an Indian on the warpath, friend. Because you was having a time with God right there on the side of the highway knowing God had done something for you that nobody could. That's the reality of the God we serve. Unfortunately, it's not the reality most have experienced. This kind of love for the Lord and his work allows people to get to know the kind of power that God can give. And when you start out with a pledge and God meets the need and blesses you for it, and the next year you find that, that, that God increases that for you. And you'll find that when the more, it seemed like, Brother Shane, the more responsibility that I had. Now, I looked at this a little backwards at first because every time I got somewhere, I had another kid to raise. I'd, make, I'd get a raise at work or something. Would happen. God would give me a job making more money. And then I'd get another kid to raise. And I thought, man, I can't get a leg up. No, what it was was every time a responsibility come at me. In my stupid youth who had no way to raise a child. God come in there and said, I got just what you need. And he met my need. And he gave me what I needed. And when I look back on it now, I am way older than I used to be when this was first coming into my life. But I'd be scared now to have to go back and do the things that God done then. It was just in my own ignorance. I didn't have enough sense to know any better. Me and Brother Marvin was talking about a young preacher just not too long ago. He says he just ain't got enough sense to know any better than to trust the Lord. And I said, I wish we was all that way. He said, amen. And I just wish we didn't have enough sense to, to trust anything except for God. And I didn't. And I think God wants us to get us to the place where we don't have enough sense to trust anything but God. And so moving on here quickly, it's, it's not to put them under financial strain here. It's just to, to, to get them to, to put in with a willing heart. Now, uh, I really need to t- hit this quickly. I know we're running out of time. But go with me to Isaiah 22 for just a moment. Let me start here in uh, verse 15. The Bible says here, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee under, the, the, under this treasurer, even under Shebna, which is over the house, and say... Now let me say this quickly, just try to, to get right on through this fast. Shebna uh, was um, over the treasury of King Hezekiah and his house, the palace. All right? And uh, we understand here that uh, the Bible says, What hast thou here? Verse 16, And whom hast thou here? Thou hast hold out thee a sepulcher here, and he that holdeth him out a sepulcher on high, and that grave... Uh, that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock. Behold, the Lord will carry thee away uh, with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die, and there the, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of, the Lord's, of thy Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from the state shall he pull thee down. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the priest, okay? And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Now I want to say this. Who is responsible for moving the authority of of the treasury. The Lord is responsible in this. The Lord is making sure that Shebna is removed from the treasury and that, uh, uh, that uh, Hilkiah's son Elikim is put in. But what's funny, he says, and the key of the house of David. What is the key? He is the one, Brother Marvin, that, that was responsible for the coming and goings of that treasury. He held the key. You understand that? Of the house of David. And will I lay upon his shoulder so he shall open. And none shall shut. And he shall shut. And none shall open. In other words he has the key. You're not getting in unless he opens the door. You're not getting out unless he opens the door. He's responsible for letting you in. And he's responsible for letting you out. I find that highly interesting when we look over here in Revelation uh, chapter number 3. Uh, at the church of Philadelphia, which is one of two churches out of the seven churches of Asia Minor that the Lord did not rebuke. And we find that the church uh, at Philadelphia here, 
Uh, the Bible said in verse 7, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things said he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. We just seen that the treasurer here uh, was uh, the one that had the key, uh, was that of, of Hilkiah's son. But he was moved into that position by God. Now you have the keys, if you will, to your treasury. But if you'll let God do what God wants to do, he won't have to move you around to get done what he wants to get done. But interestingly enough, while we think we hold the keys, we really don't. Because look at what the Bible says about the Lord. The Bible says here uh, in verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. What is the Lord going to do? The Lord's going to rule and reign, we understand, on the throne of his father David. In the millennial kingdom. But Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, right? He is the one that controls our money. He is the one that controls our treasury. He is the one that openeth doors and shuts doors. Shuts doors and opens doors. I want to say this. You say, well, I can't give because I just don't have it to do. Let God open the door. That is the purpose in this kind of giving. You don't have to have it necessarily to have it in his will for you to give it. What you do is you say, God, if that's what you want, that's what I pledge, that's what I'll do. And regardless, Brother Shane, of what happens, you make good on that. You say, I don't know if I can. Well, it's not about knowing if you can. It's knowing that he can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me say this. When you do it, when you commit, when you purpose to it, you will find that the year that you pledge what you didn't feel like you could, when God told you to do it, that God will meet your needs and show you himself in a way that is amazing. But I want to say this. It has to come from the heart. If you're going to begrudge it, if you're going to hate doing it, if you're going to be mad at God for having to do it, you might as well not do it because you're already in sin. You do it from the heart. Notice with me, if you will, that in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, that the Bible said how that in a great trial of affliction, verse 2, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. You know what God wants us to do, Brother Martin? God wants us to be willing within our power and to be willing beyond our power should he ask of it. That means if you've got it to give, praise God. If you don't have it to give and God lays it on your heart, give it anyway. Say, so I don't know if I can. God can help you. It may cost you something. Let me tell you what it done. It cost Christ. He who was rich became poor. He was poor when he paid it all. Jesus was poor when he paid it all. I want you to know something to me. It's the ones that are poor that's going to pay because they're only paying to the power of the God they serve. You need to understand something today, friend. It wasn't, the, it wasn't that, that the church at Corinth was a bad church. It was they needed to understand what it was to have faith. A carnal church is a faithless church. You understand that today. A carnal church is a church that's lacking in faith. This was a carnal church. They did not have the faith that the other churches had. But by giving to faith promised missions and committing, God will build your faith based upon your commitment. And do you know who essentially will get the most blessing out of that giving? You will. Because God will show you Himself in a way you haven't experienced before. And let me remind you, say, this is awful different. Well, we dealt with last Wednesday night concerning David and how he desired. This one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what? He wanted to inquire in his temple to see the beauty of the Lord. This is the kind of thing that allows God to become real to you. This is the kind of thing that exercises faith. One thing that's killing the church today is the church is not exercising faith. Now, bodily exercise profiteth little. I love that verse. <laughs> but I'm saying this to you. The truth of the matter is this. We need to exercise our faith. You quit laughing, Miss Bobby. 
And so what I'm saying to you is we, God wants us to exercise it not to hurt us, not to take from us what we don't have, but to give us what we are not having. And that is him in his entirety. Let me tell you who got blessed the most out of this. Who got blessed the most out of this was the Macedonian churches that loved God so much that they didn't care whether they had it or whether they didn't. They're just going to give it because they knew they wasn't anything without God in the first place. Anything they ever thought they were, they found out they weren't until the Lord revealed himself to them. And they got gloriously saved. And this church has now been formed. Let me tell you something. God's wanting you to exercise some faith. God's wanting me to exercise some faith. He opens the door. He shuts the door. We need to understand, friend, if we're trying to open our own doors, we're already in trouble. And when we're trying to shut them, we're already in trouble. We're just trying to rely uh, upon the Lord tonight and wait upon him. And uh, so let me say this. Brother Marvin, if you will, go ahead and kill our live stream tonight. And uh, I'm going to dismiss an order of prayer that I'm going to mention a few things, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for this teaching tonight on faith promise giving and, and what it is to give and what you want us to do and how you bless us uh, through that. And we ask, Father, tonight uh, that as we go outside this place that we would consider.